Welcome to the AHA Process webinar podcast series. In this installment, titled Mindset, Motivation, and the Argument for Change, Jim Ott discusses his experiences with the Bridges Out of Poverty Initiative in Dubuque, Iowa. Jim is a school psychologist, and he has served as a national consultant with AHA Process since 2010. Let's join him now. All right. Well, thank you. It's good to... uh... Good to be with you, uh, if, if only in the info world, and uh, it's great to see all of the various places and organizations that are represented. It's really exciting to see people interested in work that has been so uh, important to me in my own uh, professional life and then in my own personal life. A little background, I am a school psychologist, and so this is a great time of year for me. In fact, all of my schools are finished for the year, which means... Uh, I'm just about to face the reason that I've never left education as a profession, the fact that I get a summer vacation. Ever since I was four years old, I've been functioning on a school calendar, and I, at this point, I don't think I'm going to be giving it up. It's a delight um, to have an opportunity to speak on this topic, and, and my primary really reason for doing this is to explore the reasons why I think the bridges work, the framework for understanding poverty, getting ahead, why they work from my point of view functioning in the world of psychology. Um, I've always been fascinated by how people think, how people change, why they change, what motivates them, what brings them to a place of seeing a need for change. And uh, so this, this topic of how it is that I've seen Bridges framework getting ahead really impact people's lives with meaningful change is kind of near and dear to my professional life as well as uh, some of the things that I do personally in the community. Um, I, my experience with this material started with framework uh, work, with Ruby's work in the schools. That's where I was first exposed to the uh, concepts that are included in framework for understanding the resources and the language and the hidden rules and all those things that if you've been uh, through a Bridges training or framework training, I'm sure that you're familiar with those things. And it, it really began to inform the way that I dealt with families. Uh, as a school psychologist, I get to work with families and kids that need a school psychologist. And so that puts me in a position of having to deal with a number of family systems that in many other ways may be perfectly sound and fine, but may not have given kids the background and the experiences and the knowledge of the hidden rules to be successful in a school setting. This information, when I was first exposed to it 10 years or so ago, really allowed me to see the people I was working with through a new lens. Uh, It was a very important thing for me to be able to understand that a person's background really gives them uh, a set of coping mechanisms, a set of problem-solving skills, a set of what I've come to understand is really kind of common sense um, that works very well in their world but may not work in my world. As a lifelong middle-class individual, so I am a generational middle-class person who has functioned and been raised in the middle class my entire life, it it was always easy for me to look at people who were coming from generational poverty and default to a variety of myths that I'll talk about in a little bit um, because of the assumption that the way that I was living life worked and all anybody had to do was live life the way I lived life and everything would be fine for them. This information allowed me to understand that I too had had an experience uh, being raised, an economic experience, a class experience that informed my understanding of how the world works. And it just so happened 
that my way of, of being raised was the kind of hidden rules, the kind of knowledge that prepared me to do well in school, to understand the world of work, to understand how government systems work. Um, and so what I took to just be common sense was actually, um, and uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of emotion goes with this word, but it was actually the privilege of being raised in a middle class environment. Um, so one of the, uh, the mantra slides that I was first exposed to when I went into framework was this quote from Dr. James Comer, which says, no significant learning occurs without a significant relationship. And as I've worked in the Bridges work and in the, uh, the getting ahead, and I've been facilitating getting ahead groups for the last eight years, and if you're doing getting ahead, you're going to know what I'm talking about. If you haven't done getting ahead, I strongly uh, recommend it and commend it to you as a very real process that can bring about real change in people's lives. And we'll be talking about getting ahead through this uh, webinar. But this no significant learning occurs without a significant relationship comes out of the educational background. And uh, it was a, an important thing for me because I recognized even before I had been exposed to the framework uh, material that when kids did the best is when they felt that they were the most accepted, the most liked, the most appreciated, where they had that valuable relationship. Um, and so in my world, I believe that if you had good relationship with kids, you could help them learn more. What I've come to understand is that the significant learning is a learning that's deeper than just knowledge and information. And that if we're really interested in significant learning in people's lives, we have to be concerned not just about their knowledge, but also about their very sense of who they are and their very sense of the ability they have and the skills and the strengths that they have to impact the outcome of their own life. Uh, I, I recently got to do a TEDx talk, um, and this is something that was arranged by a high school student at uh, one of the schools that I serve, which is really cool. It's the first TEDx event, which if you've seen TED Talks, I'm sure most people have seen some of those. They allow individual and private organizations to set up TEDx, which are just kind of like regional TED events. And this is the first one in Iowa that had been done by a high school student. It was a part of her senior seminar project. So it was pretty cool to get to do that. But I did my TED Talk. and. You can access that if you ever have nothing else to do. You can find it on YouTube, I think, if you just put in TEDx and Jim Ott, you'll get that, that TEDx talk on the concept of significant learning. And the, the way I put it in an educational uh, setting was that if we teach a kid algebra, that's learning. If we teach a kid grammar, that's learning. But significant learning is when a student walks out of our school believing that they're important, believing that they matter, believing that they have significance in the world because of who they are, not because of what they know. And we have a tendency, at least in schools, to really focus on the learning part of it. And those things are important, reading, math, writing, important skills. But that's just learning if a person works, walks out of a school not feeling confident. And sometimes our systems, which are better at providing learning. So my work in the community is through a, an initiative called the Dubuque Circles Initiative, which applies the bridges and getting ahead material at a community level. Um, a, a lot of times our community initiatives and our support systems are good at providing learning for people in need. We're good at meeting those basic needs such as 
where to get food, where to get clothes, how to get rental assistance, to how to get utilities assistance. And those are all important things because they help people solve immediate problems. But that's just learning. If we're interested in significant learning, the next level then is to have those real and significant relationships. And what I discovered in the work that I did in the community is that our systems sometimes create the opposite of significant learning. In other words, they create sometimes a dependency model or a sense of inadequacy or a sense of powerlessness that I need other people to solve these kinds of problems for me. And not all people, but some people develop that sense of I can't make a difference in my own life. I have to wait for something outside of me to change. And what I've seen with the Getting Ahead material is that individuals have been able to step back from their life, look at it in a new way, and begin to, that process of significant learning. Uh, an example I'll give you from my own school world is, is a system that is working very hard to teach. Um, I get to work with a, a number of different kids in a number of different settings, but there's this one sort of an at-risk program, but it's really open for anybody that can come in and get any help. And there's a girl that I've worked with a couple times, and she's been a part of a couple groups that I've done. Um, and she comes in often because she doesn't feel very confident with her math skills. Uh, and in fact, I would say it's beyond not feeling confident. She actually says, I'm really bad at math, and I'm just so stupid. This comes out of her mind, uh, out of her mouth again and again, even while she's receiving help. Oh, I just don't get it. I'm just not very smart. So as the school tries to provide the, and say to her the importance of learning math, because of her perception that she's not good at it, it actually begins to reinforce a more significant message, which is, I'm not very smart. If she carries that into her adult life, then it won't matter if we teach her the math because she will carry into her adult life an idea that she's not very smart. That's kind of a, a picture of what I see with a number of people who get, uh, get into a system that maybe meets some of their needs but doesn't empower them to begin to uh, meet their own needs, to have the problem-solving skills, the social connections. And that's what I found when I got involved with the framework and the Bridges material. So what we're talking about today then is significant learning, learning that changes your view about yourself and your ability to interact with the community, to build stability into your own life, to see yourself as a problem solver, to see yourself as a person having strengths that can meet your needs, the needs of your family, and be a part of contributing to a more stable community. Um, this is one of the key points that comes out of the Bridges training, and it's one of my favorites uh, because this significant learning uh, really comes out of the Bridges material and the framework material for me because it had to start with me. And the, this key point that the more we understand how class affects us and are open to hear about how it affects others, the more effective we can be. For me personally, going through this training was what opened my eyes to the idea and, and the reality that I had had a very uh, fortunate life in the background that prepared me for middle class systems. And when I realized that that was not something that I had chosen, because, again, if you've been through the training, you'll, you'll know this, but one of the, the narratives of the middle class world is that if you work hard, you can achieve. And so all my life I was taught if I work hard, I can achieve, and that my achievement is based on my hard work. And so 
with that as a mindset, and we'll get into some mindset stuff out of uh, a couple other books that, are, that we'll talk about that aren't aha books but that have been informative for me. But if you get into that mindset information, my mindset really was fixed on this idea that hard work equals success. Therefore, if a person didn't have success, it was because they didn't have hard work. That was my narrative because my life had taught me that. Well, two things happened as I, as I went through this material and began to do getting ahead. The first thing was I had to realize that while, yes, I had done what the system expected of me, I didn't really have to work that hard at it because that I had been prepared for a system that was prepared for me. And if, if that makes sense to you, you can kind of draw that out. But yes, I did have to do all my homework when I was in school. Yes, I did have to show up at time on my job. But I didn't have to work hard at that because I didn't know that there were really any other options. I didn't have to make a choice. So that was one thing. I had to begin to understand my own background. This to me is, is an essential part of the bridges and getting ahead work because there are so many middle class people that I meet um, that are coming from middle class and even wealthy backgrounds who really genuinely want to help. And the, the mindset is, I've been so blessed, I've been given so much, I should share with others who, and you, you understand, it goes to who don't have. And so there's a kind of a deficit model that goes with that, that are intentioned, but doesn't recognize, and this is the way I've come to put it, middle class people often approach poverty with, I have so much to give. What I've come to understand is, I need to approach working with generational poverty in my community with an attitude, I have so much to learn. There's so much I don't know. In the process of me, me learning about people's real lives and poverty and how it affects them, I can possibly share my connections, some of my resources, some of the information that I have, and just the general affirming relationship to build significant learning. But first I have to approach it from I need to learn, not I need to give. Because that, that mindset of I need to give really just can enable the same system and perpetuate a dependency model. The second thing that I came to understand in doing the getting ahead was that um, very often, if I want to use him as an example from poverty, in other words, someone like me about my age, Jim from poverty often is working harder than I have ever worked a day in my life. And this was a real eye-opening thing for me <laughs> because when I see that Jim from poverty is actually working harder than me, but he's not getting any place, it begins to help me understand why there may be some resistance to ideas that I think would solve problems. And until I enter into a relationship with Jim from poverty and can acknowledge how hard Jim from poverty is working in his own life just to survive, just to make ends meet. And that idea that that class background led to maybe a hard work ethic, but that hard work is being applied in a different way than it is in my world, was very helpful. And then moving past, for me, some of the middle class myths that are fairly common that are running all the time. So let's look at some middle class myths. So let's look at some of these middle class myths. And these are fairly common. And I, when I do presentations and Bridges presentations, we'll talk about some of these myths. But the, the first one is the easiest, that if you ask middle class people why people are in poverty, the number one honest answer you'll get, and, you, and if you have real conversations with people or if you just listen to the way people talk about people in poverty, 
And I'll just most of the audience. What's the number one reason that middle class people will say people are in poverty? And they will say people are in poverty because they are lazy. And this is one of those moments where you can really examine what we, by human nature, do when we see behavior and attitudes and, and, and things that don't make sense to us. So when I see, um, as a middle class person, see people in poverty maybe not living the way that I live or doing the things that I do, I've got to do something with the difference between me and them. And it is human nature to start with, with a uh, character judgment of the other. That's just kind of where we begin, and we have to work against that. There are lots of reasons why these are, and, and we don't need to go into that, but I think if you examine your own uh, experience with conflict and judgment, you'll discover how easily and how quickly we default to judging people who don't see things the way that we do. And so that first thing that we do is we evaluate people based on our own experience and our own narrative, and then we cast a moral character judgment on people who are different than us. So the first thing people in middle class will say is that people in poverty didn't do what I did. My narrative is I have what I have because I worked hard. People in poverty must not have done what I did, therefore they must be, they have a bad attitude, they're lazy. Um, so let's look at a couple of the other ones and I'm sure you'll be able to follow these. People in poverty are unmotivated. They don't care, they don't want to try, they just, they, they're, and this is, you know, this is one of those things I've uh, now done getting ahead long enough to realize that motivation is something everybody has. Everybody is motivated, but what are you motivated toward and where are you applying your energies? And when survival is your motivation, you are applying all your energies to immediate problem solving because perhaps you have to, then the idea of long-term future thinking can get lost. But to middle-class people, that looks like you're not trying. Um, people in poverty are stupid. We, we don't like to use that word in polite company, but that's what you hear people say. So we'll, we'll do some things like they lack intelligence or, or common sense. This is one of those myths that if you do the bridges work, you get into getting ahead, what you come to realize is that common sense is common in the environment where it's common. And so as a person from generational middle class working and getting ahead and facilitating those classes, there have been multiple times through the years where the people in the group were talking about and examining some issue and talking about something that they knew about that I knew nothing about. And when I would confess that I, knew, I didn't know what they were talking about, I would get the look from them that the middle class system often gives to people in poverty. They would look at me like, how can you not know about that? And even at times, actually laughing at the fact that I didn't know it. Well, what that, what that speaks to is intelligence, common sense, is what is intelligent and common sense in an environment where it's needed. And so if I, as a middle class person, suddenly found myself living in poverty and had to live in a poverty neighborhood and surrounded by generational poverty, guess who looks stupid now? Guess who doesn't have intelligence? Guess who doesn't have common sense? The problem is that because the middle class tends to control these, these narratives, and so here's a couple other uh, middle class myths, because the, the middle class tends to control the narrative about poverty, people in poverty can begin to believe the messages that the middle class system talks about. So I have had people in poverty say, 
I just am not smart enough to go back to school. I just don't know enough things to be able to be successful. When in fact, I, as you talk with them more, you realize they have vast intelligence, incredible knowledge, just about other things. So another one is that people in poverty are manipulative and exploit the system. This is, uh, this is often, first of all, it's often a survival skill. Second of all, it's important to note that manipulation of the system is something that is a human characteristic that's not bound to poverty. We middle class people just don't like it when they manipulate our system in a way that doesn't look like the way we manipulate the system. But I'm, I'm just going to be straight up with you. I'm out of a required meeting right now to do this because I can manipulate my system to be able to do this instead of being at a meeting I didn't really want to go to. Are you with me? Do you know people in your agency, in your world, that manipulate sick, sick leave, that manipulate starting and finishing times? Manipulation is something that happens at every level. Uh, it just when we can see it in another group, we look at them and say that they're not they're manipulative. We don't recognize it in our own system. And then finally, people in poverty know better. Like they could do better if they wanted to, and they have the knowledge that they need. Uh, this is something I first heard from Dr. Rita Pearson, who is a consultant with AHA, an educator who has uh, passed a couple years ago, but she was unbelievable in her. Uh, explanation of some of these concepts and really was instrumental in me understanding it. And it was one of the first things I remember from my first training I went to is when she said, people in poverty, it's not that they know better, they just know different. They have as much intelligence, they have as much common sense, but it's different. Addressing these middle class myths happens when you do a Bridges training with a middle class audience. It happens when you do getting ahead with people from generational poverty as they're given permission to investigate their own lives instead of being told what they ought to do. And, and when that happens, um, opportunity for relationship happens and social connections can be made and significant learning can take place. And that is just a, the, the brilliance of all of this. If you've never seen Dr. Rita Pearson um, uh, speak, there, there's plenty on YouTube about her that you can pick up. That's uh, Dr. Pearson. Every child deserves a champion, something she did at a TED Talk uh, a few years ago that is just, it will inspire you and it will help you to, to see from an education point of view the significance of identifying people's strengths and building on strength, strength upon strength to, to encourage people. So there's a, something I encourage you to listen. It's about seven minutes long, won't take a lot of your time. Don't do it now, wait till I'm done, unless you decide it's more entertaining. Let's talk about mindsets for a little bit. I'm going to just borrow from the psychological literature right now. And this is, some people say this is pop psychology, but this is some significant stuff that's really impacting business, communities, education. Um, and Carol Dweck's work on mindsets, she just based it down to two things. You have a fixed mindset, you have a growth mindset. A growth mindset points towards I can make a difference, I can do something, I can change. If I am willing to do these things, these things can happen. A fixed mindset defaults to this is just the way things are. This is the way I was born. This is how smart I am. This is as much as I can do. And when you have a fixed mindset, the idea that you can bring choice or that you can bring change through your own personal choice can be very elusive to people. If you have a growth mindset, you begin to believe that change is possible based on your own decisions and your own growth. Now, I don't want to, um, I, I, time is going to get away from me if I spend too much time on this, but when you start looking through the Bridges 
lens and the getting ahead lens, um, you can see fairly quickly that generational poverty can lead to that hidden rule of destiny that says, this is just the way you're born, and, and if you get out of it, it's kind of lucky, and you can work really hard and not get anywhere, so what's the point of putting in a lot of effort to try and to do something? You can get into that fixed growth. It's not that everybody does, but it's more prevalent that there isn't as much that you can do because for generations I've seen people work and I've seen no progress. Whereas the growth mindset, in name at least, comes much more from an idea that my life, my future is in my hands. If I make a decision, I can move towards it. I can make decisions now. What happens to me today is a result of what I did three days ago. That growth mindset sees the impact of behavior. What we're trying to build in Bridges, and this book is excellent, and I highly recommend it. What we're trying to do in Bridges and Getting Ahead is build a growth mindset for individuals and for communities that if we really do set goals and begin to work towards it through relationship, uh, we can really make a difference in our individual family and community lives. Um, and this is that hidden rule of destiny that, that, uh, that um, we talk about. If you've done the hidden rules, the middle class, it's all about choice. Wealth, it's all about, man, that's just the way I was born. And poverty, it's all about, that's just the way I was born. And there isn't really, sometimes in generational poverty, there isn't real, really a sense that things are ever going to get better, no matter how hard I try. Now, again, I don't see that with everybody, but certainly within the group that I work with and get in our own community, a number of people walk into getting ahead believing that life just happens to them. Whereas our middle class, and I borrow from my friend Ermina Solar, who is my uh, co-worker in Dubuque, and as a Getting Ahead graduate and now runs our program, she talks about it this way. She said she grew up in poverty, and her system believed that life happened to you. But in middle class, it's taught that you happen to life. You go after life. You make life happen. Poverty believes life just happens to you. And so that's a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. Um, so just to go through the mental models real quick and see how you can get trapped in that, you guys may be familiar with the mental models where we do a mental model of, of poverty. I just want to show it to emphasize this, the importance of this tyranny of the moment idea. So the tyranny of the moment it just says that you are so surrounded by the things that are happening in your life, you're so busy solving problems on a daily basis that it's really difficult to step outside of that and look towards a future orientation. You have so many things going on. And in generational poverty, and this is a mental model for generational poverty, these things are often interconnected so that if one breaks down, they can all break down. And you can end up in um, what we refer to as the tyranny of the moment, which is, I just want to, yeah, let me just show you the tyranny of the moment. I'll go back to that. The tyranny of the moment, which says the need to act overwhelms any willingness people have to learn. Um, so if we go back to this, this, this is a picture of one of our getting ahead groups from uh, four or five years ago, but I kept it in my suitcase, and so here's a picture of it. When you give people in generational poverty and getting ahead the opportunity to put this on a piece of paper, this is a picture of what you get. And uh, you can look at it and see some of the things that are in there that are similar to what's on the, 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 the Bridges slide, but there's also other things in there. Um, I like this one about guilt and being depressed and, and some of the... Uh, some of the negative things that, that come emotionally when you're trapped in this cycle. 
And one of the things we've discovered is that by using this mental model, which is one of the first activities you do in getting ahead or in a bridges training, is it gives people in generational poverty permission to step outside of that circle and begin to address the items within the circle. And routinely when we do this activity, we will have people say, this is, this is the first time I've ever stepped back and looked at my life this way. And then we keep using this picture through the whole group as people then are able to address these things one at a time and help each other solve them and begin to build barriers between them so that you don't have the interconnectedness that traps you in the tyranny of the moment. When you get stuck in the tyranny of the moment, you can be in a position where you start to believe that nothing really can change because even if I were to start to do something new, something else is going to break. If that happens over time, and if you add to it a cultural message that says that if you're in poverty, you're in poverty because you are lazy or because you're unmotivated or because you're manipulative. And I know, it's, it's, you know nobody maybe says those things, but it's such a, so much a part of our culture. Let me give you an example from school of where this starts. And I have another um, link that I'll put in here. And again, I, I hope you don't mind me using school examples, but that's the life that I live in. And so here's another link. And this is a link to an article about data walls. And what I've discovered in my own schools and also um, in this article points out is that the idea of data walls was designed to motivate the kids. It was designed to motivate them to want to do better. So if they see where they're achieving, then they can see they want to do better. And it assumes that all kids are going to be motivated by that same thing. And what I've discovered in my own work in schools is that the same names are always at the bottom of the list. They're always the ones that aren't achieving. And what this talks about is the impact that has on kids' ability to believe that they can actually make a change. Because sometimes those data walls are reading skills, but sometimes there's things like, did you bring your homework back from home? And almost 100% of the time, the kids that are not succeeding at reading X number of minutes at home with their parents, or not bringing their homework home, or not uh, getting their thing assignment done, or whatever it is, you can see the little dots are accumulating for the kids whose families are well-equipped to meet middle-class expectations. The kids from generational poverty are, have a visual reminder every time that that chart is approached that they are not achieving, they're not able to, and sometimes that's not because of any fault of the kid at all. It's just their family system is not able to support them. So I hope that makes sense. What happens then is that a kid is able to look there and begin to receive a message, I can't be successful. And that can be a really uh, insidious little thing that gets into a kid's head and follow them into adult life, especially if their parents are not able to support them in that. So that's a subtle way that that happens in schools, but that you can see patterns of that all over the place. Um, and so what we want to do is, is address motivation in a better way. Daniel Pink did a great, uh, great work on drive, uh, called Drive on Motivation. And the, um, the things that he talked about is old school motivation and, in, and, and new motivation. He talked about extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. The extrinsic motivation is that stuff outside of us which, which motivates us. And intrinsic motivation is the things inside that can drive us, that make us believe we can achieve. And 
too often we use extrinsic motivation to try and get people to intrinsically may not believe that they're capable of that change because they haven't had a chance to examine their lives. And so he talks about three things that allow people to develop an intrinsic motivation that can drive them into the future. And I see a real parallel with this work and the stuff we do in getting ahead, especially as I see people go from feeling like they are victims of a system they cannot control to believing that they can impact change. And so those three things are listed there, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And, and I encourage you to read the book. I won't go into, you can Google it and you'll find it. Um, the, these three things, autonomy, believing that I'm in charge and I can make my own decisions. Far too often within our systems, People in generational poverty are dependent on another system that meets their needs for them, but they don't have a lot of choice in that. They just have to jump through the hoops. Mastery, developing skills that allow me to, to meet the needs. And then purpose, what, what am I trying to accomplish? When survival is all you're trying to do, you can get trapped in that cycle. But when you begin to set goals for yourself, then you can begin to uh, develop mastery over the skills that you need to independently apply so that you can achieve your purpose. And that's where the resource model comes in. Um, the, the great thing that I loved about resources when I first began to be exposed and even more enjoyed in the Getting Ahead groups is that the, the definitions of poverty in our culture are all based on finances. So the statistics that you read, so many people are living under, under the poverty level, are all based on income level. And so when people talk about decreasing poverty, if they're talking about that statistic, there's only one solution. And that one solution is to increase financial resources or, more accurately, increase income level. Because that's what that statistic and those statistics are based on. And so when people feel like the only thing I can do to get out of poverty is get more money, it misses the opportunity to build all these under other resources that can build stability, which in the end ends up being more important, I think, than just financial resources. Money helps, but financial resources are only one of a series of resources. And so as you look at these, and there are three others that were added, and I'll talk about those in a minute, but as you look at these, what's, what's really cool is that of these eight and then these three, that were added to getting ahead, you only have to have money to work on one of them. All other 10 can be built without money. And if there is a moment in getting ahead through the years that I've seen to be liberating to people, it's when they realize that you can build stability, or in fact, in some cases, people have realized, wait, I may not, be in, I may not have financial resources. In other words, I might be in poverty financially, but in many other parts of my life, I'm actually stable. And when people realize that, you can build on the strength of those stable resources. There's a, a, almost an audible sigh of relief that I've heard in people when they realize it's not just about the money. And what that does is allow people then to build an intrinsic motivation based on a realization that they have actually built resources in their lives and they can build others even if they don't have the money. What I like about the three that were added, and what I think are really cool about these, is that all three of these, added by get it, 
getting ahead participants in the early days of getting ahead when it was being piloted. The getting ahead people, they investigated their own lives, were given permission to talk about their lives themselves, look at it themselves, rather than being told what they had to do. Um, they said there's three more resources we have to add. And the great thing about these resources is that they address three major mi middle class myths that people in generational poverty encounter. So the first one, integrity and trust, addresses the myth of people in poverty are manipulative, manipulative, exploit the system, they'll lie, they'll do, say whatever. This addresses that. If you want to get ahead in life, you have to build integrity. Motivation and persistence clearly addresses that middle class myth about laziness. Formal register, being able to communicate with a formal register language, addresses that middle class myth about stupidity. And, and what it said to me is that the people, when you can step outside of the tyranny of the moment, when you can get outside of that fixed mindset and begin to assess where you're going, when you can develop this intrinsic motivation to make change in your life, you can see the information in such a way that you can see the reactions you've had from a system and address those through resources that you yourself build. This stuff works because it gives people that opportunity. Step back. Look at life through a different lens. It's not just about money. It's not just about uh, a middle class message that has said people in poverty are failures because they are lazy or failures because they're unmotivated. But in fact, you have a whole bunch of resources. Now what happens then when you do the individual resource assessment is that people can then see where their strengths are and where their weaknesses are. And then they can start to build their, use their strengths to build up the weaknesses. The truth is that very few of us, and I'm probably speaking for a lot of you guys as well, have the financial resources to change the financial realities of many of the families we work with. Very few of us can do that. And so if that's all we're trying to do, we can get very much trapped in just meeting resource needs, getting food, getting clothing, paying some bills, those kinds of things. But when we are able to have these interactive uh, situations like getting ahead and then develop social capital, then we can begin to build other resources that can build stability while we wait for the money to come. And that's kind of what we talk about. Just had a lady in our Getting Ahead group this, this week who just got a, an eight-hour day job working in a kind of, it's kind of a warehouse setting, but it's a, it's a job that she'd been hoping to get, and she got it. And after the first day, she said, that's, that's a long time to work, but I got to do it. She hadn't, she hadn't had an eight-hour job, not because of her own choosing. She just hadn't had one. And so she was on her feet for eight hours. And, but she was able to look at it not through the lens of this was hard, I'm not going to do it. It was through the lens of this was hard, but it's a part of my plan to build stability in my life because I have the motivation to do it. And these are all things that had come up in our Getting Ahead group. It's exciting stuff when you see it in action. Um, so let me just talk about the Getting Ahead theory theory of change, and then I will entertain any questions that you may have. In fact, if you want to start tossing those in, I'd be happy to do it. This getting ahead theory of change is a verbal of a visual that can be used in getting ahead, but basically it says this, that we believe in getting ahead, and through bridges as well, that people in poverty are skilled problem solvers that they have, they're able to solve all kinds of problems that certainly I, as a middle class person, would never be able to solve where I am in the same situation because I wouldn't have the common sense. I wouldn't have the knowledge to be able to solve them. That skilled problem solvers, when they're given the right information, 
and the opportunity to step back from their life, that's what getting ahead does, who are able to make their own arguments for change. In other words, instead of having a carrot-stick approach that the system sometimes uses as an extrinsic motivation, but they intrinsically make their own arguments for change. When skilled problem solvers can make their own arguments for change, they can and will build new, relevant, achievable future stories for themselves, their families, and their communities. So often I've seen this happen. Now, I, now I'm going to be honest. We've had people go through getting ahead that weren't ready for this kind of change. That's okay. They have as much permission to not make change as we would hope they would to make changes. One of my very favorite stories about this happened early in one of our Getting Ahead classes when after four sessions, one of the participants went to one of the, my co-facilitator and said, I think I'm going to drop out of the group. And, and so she asked why. And she said, I'm not ready to stop smoking marijuana. Now we've been in four sessions and, and that just sounds like, oh my gosh, you know, the whole thing is to get you to build a better future for you and your family. But what it said to me was this group, even in four sessions, allowed her to step back and realize that if she was going to make a change, there were some changes she would have to make. And while she wasn't ready to make them then, we'd already introduced the idea that I don't believe will leave her, that if you're going to make a change, if you're going to build towards stability, then you're going to have to make some changes in your life. We had not once talked about drug use in our group. It just happened through the process. Because when people are able to examine their lives more objectively, not in the tyranny of the moment, they can make their own arguments for change. In a sense, this young lady made her own arguments for change. She just wasn't ready yet. I hope, I pray that she will. Um, but I can tell you that I've seen many other stories of people who were ready. And it's an exciting thing. It's exciting for people in generational poverty. It's exciting for people when uh, in a middle-class audience who begin to embrace the Bridges concept and get out of that, we have, you don't have, we're going to help you and get into a, we have, you have, let's partner together to make better lives for the whole community and to make better lives for you and your family. All right, so that is kind of my presentation here. I just want to highlight that there's all kinds of resources at AHA, and, and there are consultants that can come and speak on any of these subjects. We've got some really good stuff going on. Um, I, David, I'm sure, will tell you about the national, actually, this year, the first ever international uh, addressing the Challenge of Poverty Conference, which is going to be in Orlando, Florida, in late September, and I'm sure David will be able to give you a link to that. I uh, highly recommend coming to that if you are able to. You just are so inspired by the stories that you hear of people like you who are doing real work in real communities. Um, all the, many of the presenters, if not all the presenters, are just people applying these concepts in their communities. There's so much that you can learn and be inspired by. Um, good. It's been a thrill to be with you guys today. I'll close with the cheesy uh, uh, saying slide, but it's, it's really true. Uh, the real voyage is not about seeking new landscapes, but in seeing things through new eyes. Uh, bridges, getting ahead, framework for understanding poverty, help people see through new eyes, and as such, can build more relevant and real relationships that can be, bring significant learning into people. And then Sapolsky's work, uh, why zebras don't have ulcers, about the effect of stress on people in generational poverty. And I just think this is a great one. 
if we can build real relationships, we can overcome any differences at all. So I want to thank you so much for taking your time today. Um, so I will happily entertain any questions you have. Uh, just noticing guest three, um, okay, what has been your thoughts on what real relationships should look like? So this idea that often people in generational poverty uh, will tell stories of going to middle class systems and getting the look or getting treated in a way that they don't understand why the person is yelling at them and whether or not they're actually audibly yelling or yelling with their posture or yelling with their facial expression doesn't matter. There's a feeling of disrespect that comes with that. And the um, it, and what you're talking about is absolutely right because people in poverty then walk out of there and it, it's like all we are is just a number. We're just somebody in lines and, and we have to do everything they want us to do so that we can just get our check or we can get our resource. But there isn't any real genuine relationship. So um, real relationships, you know, let's be honest, they take time and they take intentionality. I believe that uh, the best thing that an agency can do is to have an open and honest conversation about what it is like for someone that walks into the office. And so I know in my trainings I, I do a lot of talking about who are your frontline people, who answers the phone, who, who uh, is the person that you, the first face you see when you walk in. Because often those people are the people who are being paid maybe the least in the agency, but are expected to put up with the most. And people who have had this experience coming into agency after agency and being treated badly will often come in with a chip on their shoulder. Let's be straight about that. And so now what you have is two people who are already ready for a confrontation before it's ever happened. A lot of training, reinforcement, encouragement needs to go to frontline people so that when people walk into an agency, the first thing they do is they get greeted as a human and not as an agenda. They get greeted as a person, not as a problem. And I know that's, you know, that's painting with a broad brush, but I think many of us have seen that in agencies. We certainly have some in our, in our community where people will come in and say, oh, I hate to go there because the lady that works at the desk is, although Carl won't use that on a that's something that needs to be addressed at the system level. Uh, we talk about the triple lens of reviewing poverty uh, with the Bridges work at the individual, what's the individual experience, but what's the institutional experience? What can we as agencies do to greet people in such a way that we build relationships? Often you don't have time to build real relationships in terms of long-term support relationships, but you definitely can build relationships of mutual respect. So uh, that we can train, encourage, build that up. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with uh, what Ms. Malone's saying there. It's, it's hard to move beyond helping. Uh, we in middle class really, I, I mean, we've, we've got stability. That's sort of a definition of middle class. Uh, what we realize, of course, is that there are pressures on the middle class right now which are creating tyranny of the moment within the middle class. In other words, we look like middle class on the outside, but a lot of people are still living paycheck to paycheck, solving problems in a tyranny mindset. Our kids are being driven into the tyranny moment by media, instant, instant gratification kinds of things. Um, there really, really, really are um, some things that are challenging the traditional middle class. And in, in some ways, we may even have to move away from this financial mindset and really address stability. I know that right now, um, 
uh, the AHA has some good work that's being done in the workplace, applying this work in the workplace, and that's using terms about daily stability versus daily instability and how that Im impacts uh, workplace and employees. And daily instability doesn't just come from being in poverty. It can come from all kinds of stresses on families. Uh, that, was a, that was the rabbit trail, but I think it's pretty important. Nick, I, don't, I, I believe I noticed that you're with the church, and getting ahead is a, is a, a really useful and really can be useful in a church context because you have a natural follow-up organization. Um, when you do it within a church, you can already get people partnered with allies that can help them once they get through getting ahead. One of the movements right now within the getting ahead broader community is develop, to develop staying ahead programs which allow people to apply the knowledge but to do it in the context of relationships. Um, and then uh, Melinda there, absolutely, uh, we, do, we spend a lot of time already talking about the cross-sections of economic class with other aspects of a person and ethnicity is a huge one. It really impacts people's perception uh, and when you can start to pull those apart a little bit, it allows a conversation that, that, uh, that looks more at the resource model um, and it still acknowledges the background that people have had based not only on economic class but race or disability or some of the other things that we talk about. It, yeah, that, that intersection of economic class and the other isms, as we like to call it, is definitely a conversation worth having, and we have that in getting ahead. It, it comes up naturally if you have a getting ahead group that is multiracial in any way, multi-ethnic. All right, good stuff. Uh, thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful day. It's uh, 77 degrees and sunny in eastern Iowa. And uh, I have no children to go see because school's out for summer. Ugh. That's my little Alice Cooper imitation for those of you who wanted that. Uh, bless you all. I really appreciate the time. This has been an AHA Process webinar podcast. Visit ahaprocess.com for more. courtesy of sound.com.